0: when I was 22, I didn't have a fully developed brain and nor does anybody that happens at about 25. And I had no clue and a lot of opinions and a lot of arrogance, right? I mean, like, that's what happens when you're 22 in general. I didn't have a clue.
1: Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life, and one day, a better world. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Insert Human. I am once again uh, honored to uh, to be with my guest uh, today. His name is John Levy. He's a behavioral scientist. Uh, he's an influencer. I could argue he's the influencer of influencers. He's an adventurer, which is something that really sparks my, uh, my curiosity. And he's also an author. He wrote a book a few years back called The 2 AM Principle, but the science of adventure, I believe. Yeah. And as of like last week, I believe, uh, just published a book titled "You're Invited." Is that correct? You're invited. I
0: came out on the 11th, and yeah, uh, it's "You're Invited," and it's all about uh, human connection, trust, and belonging—the science of it.
1: And and I and I want to just jump into it, John. With what's 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 that book all about? Like, what are you trying to say to us?
0: So here's what's super interesting: Uh, when we look at the greatest predictors of anything we really care about, right? So let's take longevity for example. Uh, the greatest predictor isn't that kale salad that we keep eating, or some cleanse Thank that you like. It's none of that stuff really has a major impact. The biggest predictors, number two, is uh, close social ties. Number one is uh, is what's called um, it's basically that you're part of a community. Social integration is what it's called. Now, uh, similarly, if you look at company stock value, employee sick days, profitability, so on. Uh, researcher paul j zack who's famous for the research on oxytocin found that it correlates directly to trust levels right so uh, if, uh, similarly google found that uh the greatest predictor of team success is something called psychological safety right so that you're not at risk of being kicked out of the group because you hold an opposing opinion and so fundamentally it seems that anything that really matters to us the ability to connect the ability to be trusted And the necessity of belonging are at the core of all of it. So the question I look to answer is, how do we connect with anyone, regardless of their level of influence or celebrity? And uh, how do we do that in a meaningful way? So we actually have great relationships because nobody likes networking, right? Like that stuff's terrible.
1: I have to to interject a quick question here, which is, do you think humankind is inherently good at connecting?
0: I think it's engineered into us. And here's a great example. Um, And I I love this example. It was uh, in the book Tribe by Jünger, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, He gives the example of uh, during the Blitzkrieg on London, the Germans are bombing. It's, you know, middle of World War II. And uh, people thought that fighting and looting would break out at the bomb shelters. And it never happened. And that's because when overwhelmingly, when we face a challenge, human beings support each other. And that seems to be generally uh, at the core of human beings, uh, you can be extreme...
1: diversity to come together Is that a yeah. way to think about it. Uh,
0: so I think we're wired for it. And uh, there's a anthropological theory that suggests that a mother with child cannot collect enough calories and protect the child in a single day. For both of them which means that we are fundamentally dependent on one another right there are certain species that you know a f- fawn is born it can run within minutes of birth human beings need to be protected for over a decade right uh, we need each other and so it's at the core of of human beings that doesn't mean that we couldn't be taken advantage of lied or tricked right uh, but overwhelmingly we're generally pretty safe and we have been become progressively significantly safer over time
1: and with that, the the sort of a, maybe a, a negative corollary, which is the the level of loneliness in the world, yeah, particularly the United States.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. In 1985, we had on just about three close friends besides family. By 2004, we were down to two, and uh, I don't even know what it's like now because of the pandemic. It must be, be quite low, right? But loneliness is on par with smoking a pack a day of cigarettes, right? Uh, And so uh, I knew that we were in big trouble when single person karaoke rooms were on the rise in Japan. Like that's, so think about this. You're like, okay, what am I going to do Friday night? I'm going going to to go sit in a room alone and sing, right? Like, and I doubt it's because like all these people are going to try to be like the next contestant on Japan Idol, you know, or whatever. Right, 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 right. Have you Um, also
1: read about the Japanese phenomenon of people hiring
0: actors to play roles in their life? Yeah, like friends and stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a self-created Truman show. Right, yeah. Uh, So I think it really, you know, uh, what's the guy's name? Matt Lieberman, who's a neuroscientist. I think he's at UCLA. Did this crazy study uh, where people came into the lab and had their brain scans. And they played a game a digital game called Cyberball. it's a silly game. Essentially there are three players and you have a ball and you pass it between yourselves. And at a certain point, while you're having your brain scan, the other two players stop passing you the ball and just pass it between themselves for a few minutes. And then the game ends. And you suddenly see that the areas of the brain associated to social pain light up. Hmm. And they're almost identical to physical pain. And then they repeated the same experiment uh, but gave half of the group a placebo and half of the group painkillers. And the people who had the painkillers, those areas didn't light up. Wow. So it turns out that painkillers function on both social and physical pain, and they're probably not as different as we think they are.
1: And the social pain is is potentially the, 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 the thing that impacts mortality, right? Like you die. Longevity is impacted as much by a lack of connection as it is by other other other
0: yeah, people. so it's there's in the extreme case there's something called broken heart syndrome, which is causes heart failure, uh, but it does things like reduces sleep, reduces increases anxiety and cortisol, right? So it like wears the body down,
1: yeah.
0: it puts you in a stress state, and that makes sense because if evolution from an evolutionary perspective, we uh, need other people to survive. If we feel like we're alone we're going to be panicked about our survival. Right. And you can think about this, when you're feeling really happy, sharing that happiness with people feels better, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. When you're really upset, there's like a handful of people that I could just vent to and suddenly everything feels all right. Right, right. And, that support, Yeah, and like understood and that I'm safe and that we're gonna figure this out.
1: So, so tell me the, the book, which I, I actually just ordered uh, today. Um, no, thank you. What What's the Cliff Notes version without giving away too much of the story?
0: Oh, I'm happy to give away all of it. Uh, what's the most important thing to me is that people develop meaningful relationships. So the Cliff Notes version is that human beings function around and are rewarded by pro-social behavior, right? Like the fact that we uh, support each other, connect and so on. And there's, but it turns out that just about everything we do, uh, when it comes to developing relationships is either wrong or backwards. I'll give you like three examples, (laughs) right? So first is, uh, if you want to connect with people, the advice is go out there and network, but networking sucks. Like it really just sucks. Research from uh, Harvard business school found that our implicit association to it is feeling dirty. Like we want to wash.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: We don't have that association to making friends, so we've consistently turned business into this realm where we try to network rather than make friends, and we forget that friendships actually form over shared interests, uh, over shared culture, shared yeah, activities. Yeah. Now there are things that you can do to enhance the people's desire to connect with you pretty dramatically, right? It has to do with the way the brain's wired and so on, and I go deep into that in the book. Uh, the second factor is this element of right i say it's connection trust and co- community so connection doesn't make any sense the way most of us do it now trust trust we tend to buy people off like we try to i'll take you to an expensive dinner i'll invite you to a party and give you a swag bag i'll gift you a product let me ask you a question do you really want a shirt with my company logo on it no, like, no nobody wants nice. that stuff uh so the cliff notes version is that Oddly, the exact opposite works. Um, it's called the IKEA effect. And it's that we disproportionately care about our IKEA furniture because we had to assemble it. Right. And anything we put effort into, we care about more.
1: I, I've actually, if I can just jump in on that one, I've, I've heard and learned that if you come to my house for dinner, and I'd love if you're ever in Boston to come, come over for dinner, a free meal. If I, if I ask you to help prepare, you will enjoy the evening more. I guess so, that's the IKEA effect.
0: Yes. So, for years, I've been running the secret dining experience. Um, 12 people are invited. They're not allowed to talk about what they do or even give their last name. They cook dinner together. And when they sit down to eat, everybody gets to guess what everybody else does. They find out that it's a Nobel laureate, an Olympian, an editor in chief, a celebrity, an Academy Award winner, a Grammy, whatever it is, right? I've hosted over 2,000 people at 227 dinners in 10 cities and three countries.
1: Amazing.
0: Now, all of this formed into a community over years of repetition and all this stuff. But people have often then tried to create influencer dinners, right? You take a bunch of high-profile folk and you you throw a dinner. The problem is nobody's ever been able to reproduce the results. And that's because they miss the point. The dinners are terrible. Like it's 12 people who don't know how to cook cooking together. Right. And and the big joke is, uh, what was it? We had a journalist come in and say, I was expecting a phenomenal meal and decent company. I got the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the most quote unquote important people in our culture connect over terrible food. It wasn't something that was super expensive because fundamentally human connection doesn't cost anything. And I think that that's what people are really misunderstanding. Most organizations try to make up for bad ideas by throwing more money at them. Okay. We need a launch party. Okay. Nobody's questioning why they're having a launch party. It might be like a terrible way to promote their product, but we'll now hire a big band to make up for it.
1: Well, something that you said before we even started recording really resonated with me, which is, I think humans generally eschew complexity. And it strikes me that some percentage of people think intimacy is complexity. And so Mm. let's focus on food, which actually isn't that complicated as a way to foster connection which isn't effective, you know but I think I think particularly corporately there's this bias towards the simple the straightforward, even if it doesn't actually work we can mm-hmm. we can check the box of we did the launch event
0: yes, that's what I'm being measured on I right. think it's it's actually that the metric has nothing to do with the outcome right uh so it, I think it's a misalignment because you know human connections actually pretty simple. It's built on like one basic unit, uh, I would argue, and it's called an in, a vulnerability loop. It works like this. We're chatting, we're walking down the street. I'm visiting in Boston. This is before the, we've cooked dinner. And you say, John, it has been, you know, I've, my new book's coming out in a few months. I'm super stressed. I don't know how I'm going to get through everything. In that moment, you've signaled vulnerability. Right. If I ignore you, or make fun of you, trust will be reduced. But if I acknowledge it and then I match it and I say, Chris, I went through the exact same thing publishing this book, let's talk it through. Suddenly I've signaled vulnerability back, you've seen that, and now we know we can trust each other at this higher level of, of vulnerability. And I would argue that that's kind of the base unit of functionality, which is the reason that dinners work is that as you're cooking together, There's a problem too big for any one person to complete by themselves. And suddenly you're opening and closing vulnerability passing each other things, following instructions from one another, so on and so forth. That's what actually makes workplaces great. You know, the, uh, how do you think the the corporate world
1: does vis-a-vis vulnerability showing it, fostering it, allowing it? I mean that's a that's a massive broad I think
0: it's a really complex issue because now there's this I don't want to like I don't know what the right word is, but there's this very complex idea of bring your whole self to work. Right. And I don't know how that pans out. Yeah. And so for example, I'm gonna take a couple of extreme examples, right? I have a friend uh who for Halloween when you're dressed up as Carrie. Bradshaw from Sex in the City. The photo went viral uh, from his Halloween costume and then started recreating the scenes and produced an alternate personality called Carrie Dragshaw, <laughs> right? I love it. Yeah, no, he's, he's like the coolest, right? His, uh, and you can Google Carrie Dragshaw and you're gonna be wowed by the reproductions of actual scenes. It's just so cool. Does that mean bringing your whole self to work is showing up in drag, like, I don't know, right? It's fine that his coworkers know about it. I think that's great. I think you can potentially share photos. But like, where do you draw the line? Right? Where's the vulnerability loop appropriate? And where does it stop being opened and closed? And that's changed over time dramatically. And many places, it's not appropriate to talk about your divorce or anything like that, right? You might want to let your boss know just because it might affect your schedule. But at So those aren't the types of vulnerability loops I necessarily encourage, right? Uh, I encourage things like, let's say Chris, you and I work together. I go, Chris, I know that you are like the technology expert, right, in terms of thought leadership. I have a big project that I have to deliver. Can you talk me through this idea? I wanna make sure I don't, like I get this right. Mm -hmm. In that moment, I've absolutely opened a vulnerability. loop. And here's what's interesting. The research has shown that since you see yourself as someone smart, if I come to you for advice, that makes me a smart person for doing it. Oh, funny. Sure. And you will like me more. And when you put the effort into me, like the Ikea effect, it will actually increase our levels of trust. Right. Oh, so it's, uh, that's the kind of vulnerability loops that really work. That's the kind of vulnerabilities loops that allow for that, uh, psychological safety that we talked about earlier. And, uh, And sometimes it's appropriate to talk about the other stuff, right? Like, hey, my kids are driving me crazy. I've been locked in a house with them for 18 months. Uh, Can I get like 15 minutes to go take care of some family stuff, right? And sometimes that's not. It really depends on the workplace and the culture.
1: I don't want to derail you. I want to come back to the third point that you were going to make, but I want to ask a question about how you think about vulnerability vis-a-vis, I'm going to call it the other side of of your interest area, which is this question of adventure.
0: Mm. And are
1: there is that is there an overlap in that in the sense that you know, I watched your TED talk and or your fortune talk, I guess.
0: Yeah, uh, fortune. And, that uh, one was about adventure. And I encourage everybody to watch.
1: I actually forwarded that to hundreds of people, too. well um, oh, Thank you. But, but 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 the idea of like of, of exposure, you know, I mean, that's a vulnerability. You're physically <laughs> vulnerable in all those situations. And I guess I'm just is there sort of a parallel?
0: Yes. Happening in that? So. I think that there's two things. First of all, for the listeners, uh, during my talks, I share about how I was crushed by a bull and almost died in Pamplona. I went and did, um, what's it called? Free diving where you hold your breath, you're in Bali. Yeah. And like, but you hold your breath for extended periods of time. You're like underwater for two minutes plus, right. Uh, with no oxygen, you're just holding your breath. Um, and in all of this, uh, the, The commonality, I would say, is that our life, the size of it, if you want to call it that, is in proportion to how uncomfortable we're willing to be. All right. So
1: can you say that again? I I heard you, but I would like everybody to hear that one more time.
0: The size of our life is in proportion to how uncomfortable we're willing to be. Right. So it's. Amen. 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 And what we don't realize is we talk about things being fragile. Like I can take a glass and drop it and it breaks. It's fragile. But human beings are anti-fragile, which is, and this is true for most living systems, when you put some pressure on us, it causes us to get stronger, right? You lift weights, you tear muscle, it gets stronger. Now, if you want to be a good public speaker, there's a whole lot of discomfort you have to go through. Yeah. You have to go through speaking in front of a group. You have to do that over and over again. You have to get feedback. All of that is uncomfortable. Yeah. All of us take it personally at some Even point.
1: practice is uncomfortable, I think.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh and and so every anti-fragile system grows because of discomfort. And it is fundamentally uncomfortable to be vulnerable. But that's where the opportunity is.
1: Right.
0: And so the key I would say is make sure that when you open vulnerability loops, just you want to initially stack them from small to large.
1: Right.
0: Uh there's some research on uh it's a great study people were stopped on the street and asked for complex directions and they rarely gave them but if they were first asked the time and then asked the directions they were willing to give it because that ikea effect kicks in so oh wow 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 they they bought in They they yeah If I've stopped and given you the time, you must be worthy of my time. Thereby, now that you're asking for more of it, you must be worthy of more of it. And so you want to stack from small to large. Plus, you you don't
1: the level of competency by providing the answer to the time question. Yes. Gave you some confidence to keep going.
0: So it's... uh, It's pretty amazing that that's how we are as people. There's all these kind of like behavioral biases kind of associated to it. One's called the endowment effect, which is once you have something, you disproportionately value it versus like, if you were to get get it new. So there's all this kind of funny things the brain does. Um, but frankly, when all of it, when push comes to shove, right. If you want satisfaction and all these things, it's, uh, it's probably going to be a byproduct of social ties to a large degree right the cliche of having lots of money and being lonely and uh, you know the satisfaction and quality of life of people who are in tightly knit communities is very high to the point that like you know people will fundamentally deny their sexual orientation for example not to lose their social ties
1: yeah
0: like I've known people who are gay who will not come out because they're part of the Mormon church and don't want to risk losing their family.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I have a couple of family, one family member in particular who is really struggling with loneliness. And um, I'm convinced that the familiarity of her misery, being lonely is actually more important to her than the risk of change. Hmm. It's like really interesting... Like she's so unhappy, but there's a film in the, patterns around yeah. that are so established that she can't imagine letting go of them to replace them with something that
0: she doesn't know what it will be. The, yeah, behavioral change, first of all, is very, like if I were to say it in a dramatic way, I'd say like it's near impossible, right? Because most of the behaviors that we wanna change, we just don't and can't. Right. Uh, now, in reality, are they changeable? Absolutely. Like you can pick any behavior and replace it, the expectation that it will happen in a week is completely unfounded in reality. I think in the, was it? The power of habit by Charles Duhigg. He points out that the turning point is somewhere around 66 days for certain habits. Is that right? Like, I mean, according to, you know, right. I haven't reviewed the paperwork or not the paper, but the studies. Uh, so if we really want you either need to have a sudden change, like what happened with people leaving the workplaces, mm-hmm. right, where it's like suddenly you're going, or you have to accept that it's best to do it in a more slow and steady format so that you're not uh, shocking the system too much.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so point three, you we're just talking about trust and vulnerability what's is what is there a third uh, i like things in threes it's a neat little package for my simple mind <laughs> is there a third
0: third means to achieve levels of connection and, and and well there's something really interesting i'll bring up a study and then i'll kind of describe what to do with it in the 2000s these two researchers Christakis and Fowler were super curious about the obesity epidemic they said, is it the type of epidemic that spreads from person to person like cold or is it a percentage of the population? Uh, because there's certain things like, you know, people get it and you're like, I can hang out with somebody who has Alzheimer's. It's doubtful. I'll contract Alzheimer's from them. Right. And what they found was startling. If you have a friend who's obese, your chances increase by 45%. Your friends who don't know them have a 20% increased chance and The uh, And then a third degree out is 5%. Now, what's wild about that is it's true for happiness, marriage and divorce rates, smoking habits, voting habits, so on, right? And this shouldn't surprise us. Things spread through our communities or our networks, just like ideas do. So do habits. So I realized that if I want to change my habits, setting an alarm for 6 a.m. and hoping I go to the gym isn't going to cut it. Like I'm just not going to do it but maybe if I hang out with a bunch of people who are athletes, it'll start being part of my natural routine.
1: Right. Right.
0: And I'm thinking,
1: I'm thinking just quickly, I'm thinking about alcoholism in in mm -hmm. our country and how, how the phenomenon, I don't know if it's a phenomenon, but the, the, the pattern we have, I mean, people hanging, you know, the drinking, I, I would say we, ha- and I, I drink, but I would say our country has a drinking problem mm-hmm. and it, it it arguably is because people are hang drinkers are hanging out with drinkers and just keeps. They, they
0: have a drinking solution, is what it sounds like. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> the, uh, it's just not a solution that's very good for you. Right. Um, I think, first of all, drinking is going down. Uh, millennials and younger are drinking less and less. Is that right? Uh, Uh, supposedly and partially it's i think because smoking marijuana has increased since uh cannabis has been legalized in a lot of places also it's a lot of calories and if you look uh the greatest predictors of longevity after social integration and uh and close social ties number three is quitting smoking number four is quitting drinking oh wow wow so um Anyway, what I ended up doing with this information is saying, great, if I want to have an extraordinary life, I need to connect with extraordinary people, or at least those I admire and respect. But then there's another element which doesn't occur to most of us, especially those who are in a networking mindset. They view it as like hoarding relationships. But Chris, I find you fascinating, right? So if I wanna keep you in my life, I shouldn't just like constantly message you. I should also introduce you to as many people that i think are exceptional that are in my life right. because with every additional connection you have to somebody i know that pulls you closer into my world right. and now your thinking your habits your good nature your whatever it is can perpetuate through the community you have that same whatever percentage effect on all those people now and then it comes back to me as a secondary benefit yeah so my objective isn't to just know people, not to have a lot of connections, but for them to be connected, to develop a sense of belonging or community, because ultimately that's that thing that really makes the difference in life.
1: Yeah. So when you were a, a teen, mm-hmm. or maybe coming out of, you went. When you went, you went to NYU, I think, right? To, yeah, undergrad. Yeah, my my daughter went there as well. Um, <laughs> but when you were coming out of NYU, did
0: you? Did you get this, this, the power of connection back? then. Oh God, no. (laughs) I was, listen, I came out of NYU. Let's first of all, be really honest about a few things. The first is that when I was 22, I didn't have a fully developed brain and nor does anybody that happens at about 25. And I had no clue and a lot of opinions and a lot of arrogance. Right. I mean, like, that's what happens when you're 22 in general. Uh, I mean, maybe listener, you're in a different boat, maybe you're incredibly humble and all that. And that's awesome that you could be much more developed than I was. Mm. Uh, I didn't have a clue. I came to a lot of this, these realizations when I was in a personal development training program at the age of 28. And the program leader said, the fundamental element that defines the quality of our lives are the people we surround ourselves with, and the conversations that we have with them and so i realized i either need to connect with different people or i need to change what i talk about with the people i'm around because if i keep talking about the things i always talk about my life will stay identical or maybe slightly improve right
1: choose right. one or the other or both of those things
0: yeah precisely right but yeah when i was 22 man <laughs> I knew how to get into debt. That was something I was very good at. I knew how to drink quite a bit and get pack on a few extra pounds. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm asking the question because I get asked a lot, how do
1: I meet people? Like how, mm. and this goes back to the default. Well, you network, but to your first point, it's not it's really a terrible. Yeah. It's just not very effective and everybody hates it anyway. So how, you know, how, how would you advise your 20 two-year-old self who did understand the desire, had the desire and mm-hmm. want to
0: connect. The first thing I would say is that relationships are a really long game and treating them like short term benefits is missing the point, right. right? We all want to meet like, how about this? If I ask you, most people, who do you want to meet right now? The answers you get are like, Richard Branson and Elon Musk. And I'd say, great. <laughs> then what do you think you're going to hang out with them? Like <laughs> I've just introduced you. What's the first to thing you say to them? Up
1: until a couple of weeks ago?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do with it? Like, okay. So I've introduced you now what you haven't developed. That's like saying, I want to be a pro basketball player and then putting you in the NBA at age 12. You'll have no idea what to do with those relationships. It's an anti-fragile system. You need to build up your ability to interact with people. So my first recommendation would be uh, to realize that human beings connect over shared interests, activities, and cultures. So find those activities that you actually enjoy participating in and slowly but surely invite people to participate. The initial people you invite are going to be around your age, but as you improve the experience and as the community grows, you'll be able to pull in higher status people, especially if, and there's a few things, one is it's highly novel, meaning that it stands out as different or unique, right? Influential people have experienced it all. So if you can do something that stands out, the reason my dinners work, nobody has that format. And if anybody were to try and copy that format, everybody would know it was something I invented because we were on the cover of the style section of the New York Times. Invent your own thing. You like hiking? Take people on a hike. You like, Were the first 10 people at the first dinner? Oh, they were good? not the, as impressive as this the current group by no stretch of the amount. They were wonderful people and they also became more successful over time. But I had no idea what I was doing in the early stages. Now there's an entire book that I wrote that like breaks down how to connect and build trust with anyone. Mm-hmm. So, um, So the first thing is, People connect over activities. That could be like games played over Zoom. That could be hiking. That could be literally knitting. It could be a cocktail teaching class. Although I don't necessarily recommend that because the number of people who are important who are sober, like uh it's why I don't really like happy hours that much. Yeah. I, I want something that um doesn't alienate people or put them in a risk. I would never want to be the cause of somebody uh starting to pick up drinking again or something like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um so 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 that first um I'm just curious like well, I want to correlate back or correlate the the adventure thing back into mm. this because I think that first dinner was well, two things. That first dinner was risk and the second is the ability to find affinity connectors, interest connectors, mm-hmm. is based on how one engages the world generally and how many experiences one gets to determine one's interests and affinities.
0: Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you can I'm only be interested it. in something you're exposed to. That's yeah. like, a, yeah, no, that's an excellent point. So you do want, uh, I one of the reasons that I invite people from disparate backgrounds to the dinner is because I wanna be exposed to as much as possible, right? Um, And I find it super interesting to meet like the world's expert on venomous snakes and insects or whatever it is, arachnids. And they're next to like a sound engineer who won four Academy Awards. Um, So the question you kind of pointed to is, who do we connect with? And there's this kind of funny theory called the prize law. And it's coincidental that it's called prize. Prize,
1: P-R-I-Z-E, prize
0: law. I'm dyslexic, so I'm not sure. I think so. Okay. okay. Uh, so as a researcher, I think he was a engineer, uh, like particle, and it was something like that, um, and uh, particle physicist maybe. Uh, he ended up looking at scientific studies, and found that if you have, let's say, a hundred scientific studies that were published, half of all the work was done by the square root of the publishers. So square root of a hundred is ten. Out of hundred papers 10 people did half of all the work and he theorized that that probably extends to other industries so the entire entertainment industry is four hundred thousand people square roots about 630 some odd then there's probably about 630 people who are doing half of all the work in the industry right. and that shouldn't surprise you because you keep seeing Spielberg and Soddenheim and like all these names appear over and over again. Right.
1: It's like another version of the Pareto principle, I suppose. Right. Like a minority. Yes, the majority. 2080
0: rule. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the. uh, But what's interesting about that is that it allows you to make a much more manageable list of who you want to connect with. Because the 2080 rule is probably breaks down at a certain point. Uh, And 20% 20% of 400,000 is still a lot of people.
1: Right,
0: right. Um, so the, if you're in Hollywood, 600 and something means like, okay, there's 80 directors, 80 producers, 80, you know, lighting experts, 80, whatever it is. And you got yourself a list and then you can just kind of like start chipping away at it. It's, yeah. and you don't go for the most impressive people first because you really want your social skills to develop. Now, that might mean that you miss out on your chance to meet some famous director before you know, their pass away or something like that. But it also does mean that you have the capability of meeting the right people at the right points in your career, Uh, which if you can have a bit of patience, you're much, much, much better off.
1: That also sparks for me a a life lesson I've uh, determined over the years, which is it's a chunk of this is all about definition definition of outcome definition of the people you want to connect with and and literally the ability to put quote unquote pen to paper to say these are the people I want to meet or these are the experiences I want to have or these are the this is the life I want to live just by getting to that level of specificity I'm not going to say you're halfway there but absent the definition you're you're spinning in circles right it's just like, mm. I want to meet people. Well, what what yeah. does that mean?
0: That's like, I want to go on vacation. Great.
1: <laughs> like, okay.
0: Uh, so here's, I, I think that you bring up a, a really good point. I, um, we had to create a standard for the dinners, right? And so for us, it was, you have to be recognized within your own industry. And I'm not qualified to do it. So I gave away the selection process to other people. Which was a huge relief. So nobody calls me up and is like, "Can I come to the dinner anymore?" Because I'm not picking anyone anyway. But we defined it as a person who has their industry respect in terms of their thought leadership, right? So you could be a professor, right? Or Chris, you're not an academic, but you're still really respected for your thought leadership,
1: right? Thank you. I'm not sure that's true, but I'll I'll
0: take it. How about this? Let me rephrase. You're mildly or moderately respected for your thought, but by, by my wife. Yeah, by her. By her and yes and occasionally the in-laws so the uh occasionally occasionally uh so it's thought leadership position right like you're the ceo of ge people are like you yeah it's gravitas Uh, or previous success if you won an academy award i know you're probably decent at what you do right like i i don't have to be super concerned that if you were the chef of the white house that you can make me an omelet right it's not like uh a, a big concern for me and so that's those were the standards we set and then i said i'm literally open to anyone from any industry as long as they aren't like you know completely bonkers right occasionally you find these actors who get hired a lot who are just completely insane or right, whatever right, right, right trouble right I have to ask, John. Did you grow up with dinner parties? Uh, my parents used to host a lot of parties in our house. I never appreciated it, right? But my father's a painter and sculptor. My mom's a composer and conductor. Oh my god! And so I was constantly exposed to that kind of culture. Um, and we would host, you know. 80 person thanksgiving's and oh my god yeah Jewish so sit down 30 person passovers like big things and performances and people singing and and uh I definitely think it had an effect although I I'd, I'd go play Super Nintendo in my bedroom like it's not yeah. <laughs> I wasn't hanging out with any of those people
1: yeah well I asked because we Kate and I entertain well pre-covid we entertained Quite a bit we have a we have a thing called the spring fling and we have dinner parties and i i i was raised in a similar kind of household and and i and i marvel at how many people don't do that at all Hmm. um and and i would say to the audience you know one tiny little baby step is is to take a page out of your 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 proven playbook and just have, have a couple of people over for dinner. Like.
0: Yeah. I, I would say even you want to take the pressure off, invite a person to go for a walk. Right. Like you don't, if you're introverted, you don't need 10 people over yeah. lean into what you're good at, which is like developing deep, intimate relationships.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, here's what'll happen. Once you really enjoy that walk, you'll be more likely to do another. And then another, if the first one doesn't go well, find another person you actually enjoy hanging out with yeah to be reminded that, like it's enjoyable. But I am not a big fan of large events when you're starting out. I'm not a big fan of like companies like to do conferences. I'm like that's a terrible idea. Do you realize how burnt out you're going to be? Yeah. start off by like host six clients for a conversation. <laughs> take it, yeah. take yeah. baby steps, but yeah. I
1: mean, I think part of the reason why large is preferred is because small can be scary.
0: Yeah, there is that a little bit of like, oh, I'm on a date now, right? Right. Uh, So that's the reason that we do activity-based experiences. Because if we're on a hike, it's completely acceptable to stay silent and enjoy the hike. If you're cooking together, great. Don't worry about it. Just ask somebody to pass you a pepper and chop.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, and that's what it's, I would argue is a more likely scenario for how we evolved right it was hey let's go on a hunt we have to stay quiet for large portions of it not to scare the animals away let's go berry picking great we have an activity that carries the conversation
1: yeah you know a verb that's come into my lexicon a lot over the last couple of years is this idea of curating Mm. um you know, curating my own experience. And as I got, you know, I'm older and as I get older, I can see the end and I'm like, I need to do a better job of curating who I am with, how I'm with them, what I'm, you know, the value I'm creating, I'm getting um, and it's all within our disposal. You just have to sort of step into the role, you know? Hmm. Um, So anyway, I'm mindful of the time. We have like two minutes left. So I just want to, I want to firstly encourage the audience to, the b- the book is called is called you're invited is that yes you're invited. you're
0: invited and and chris i appreciate you telling everybody to buy it when you've just ordered it and haven't read it yet but <laughs> clearly according to my jewish mother it's very good it's
1: amazing
0: <laughs> amazing um- like well, I, mean, thing. I did, I did do
1: my homework though. I watched your talks and I read your, your interview with, I think, or an entrepreneur, you did something on entrepreneur. You're on a Josh Martin podcast. Like I've oh, done yeah, my work. Yeah,
0: Josh, the football
1: player. I'm not just like, you know, shilling yeah. for you here, pal. Um, and, but also I want to, I want to, um, I'm going to buy the 2am principle too, which is, is more focused on the science of adventure, right?
0: Yeah. It's uh, mostly me embarrassing myself for the first half of the book, trying to figure out how to, Develop social skills and live an exciting life. I literally get crushed by a bull and almost die. So, and that's a true story. No, I watched
1: watched the film. Oh yeah,
0: oh yeah, you've seen photos. Oh my god,
1: doctor's office. Yeah, Uh, the the one that got me though, candidly, was the Bali the Bali deep dives.
0: Oh yeah, I was just like actually
1: like, I don't know, um, not mimicking, but feeling what your lungs must have been doing it.
0: 40. yeah you go into convulsions it's it's kind of a weird experience but you're totally fine it's the buildup of co2 right right and
1: well, now listen, i train
0: with a, a mask actually when i work out actually um, did you train before you went to, i assume you trained before you went to bali no the, the bali was the training so it was like a three-day course okay all right
1: well, good for you all right well thank you man for a, a great talk i wish I, I i'd love to have you back i mean if you're ever up for this
0: Count me in this is chris this has been super fun you ask really wonderfully interesting questions uh, well, with you. a viewpoint that's different than kind of like the standard podcast i really enjoyed it uh thank you very much all right
1: well again buy the book everybody and we'll have john back soon all right take care bye thanks for listening today if you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work and you find what i have to say helpful You can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons that are weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks. You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book, Technology is Dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today, and I look forward to connecting more in the days
0: ahead.